Good morning. Man, it is so good to see you all today. Oh, thank you. Somebody finally responded. That's nice. Nine o'clock didn't respond at all. So I had everyone stand up and greet each other because you didn't respond to me. Everybody up. Let's go. Greet somebody around you. Give them a hug, a handshake, a high five, a fist bump. Sorry, Kim. You got to like make your way all the way across. Say good morning. Nice job. All right, all right, everybody back. Hey, brother, thank you. All right, glad you're here. We are continuing in our series called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. I know it sounds fun, doesn't it? I know, it really, really does. But now that I said that, if you decide, because you haven't, weren't here in the past week when we talked about doing this series, if you decide to get up and walk out, we'll know that you have financial issues. I'm just saying. <laughs> so if you have to go to the bathroom, hold it, because we don't want to have to judge you. All right? That's, that's where it goes. Remember, this is not something that we as a church talk about a whole lot. And maybe we need to change that, that mindset as well. But it's really an important topic for us to cover because finances are a major part of every single person's life in this room and online. I mean, it's just the truth, right? We have, to, we have money, we have credit cards, we have debt, we have to buy things. It's just part of all of our lives. Last week, we talked about the first step to financial freedom, and that's all about our attitudes, Everything is God's. We just get to be the money managers for a little while. And once we figure out that stuff can't bring us ultimate happiness, even though we keep trying and it keeps failing, once we get to figure that whole thing out, then we get to shift our focus. And then we get to figure out, okay, God, how can I make the most impact with what you have given me to manage? Because it's not about me. Our resources are about what God wants to do through you. Now, this week, we move on to the second step to financial freedom, and this step is recognizing the bondage of debt. I know, a strange title, right? Recognizing the bondage of debt. Here's what bondage is. It's the state of being bound by or subjected to some external power or control, all right? Have you ever been in a situation where you were bound by something and you couldn't get out. Someone or something had complete control of you. Now, that can happen in multiple ways in our lives, right? That can happen with an addiction-type process, drugs, alcohol, um, things we watch on the Internet, um, relationships. It can happen in multiple ways, but it certainly happens in our finances, right? It just does. Something controls us, and we're a little bit helpless. I read about Rob Conrad. He was a former NFL fullback who spent six years playing for the Miami Dolphins. He decided to go fishing alone off the coast of South Florida, and he fell off of his 36-foot boat 
which had been operating on autopilot and left him stranded nine miles in the middle of the ocean. Think about that for a minute. You're alone. All you can see is water. You can't see anything else. You just see water. Does that freak anybody else out? Or is it just me? Man, that, that's like a nightmare among nightmares, right? You're stranded in the middle of the ocean and you're alone. All you can see is water. And then you start to panic. What's the first thing you're worried about? Me? It's sharks. You know, I'm not worried about drowning. I'm worried about sharks coming. You know, or you're worrying about the currents. Or you're worried about where is land and can I swim to be able to get to land? Those are the worries that start coming through your mind as you're in this bondage of the water that's around you everywhere. By the way, he swam nine miles, 16 hours, and made it to shore and survived. Now, I don't know about you, but in the middle of your financial situation, let me just say you can do that same thing. You don't have to stay stranded. You don't have to drown. You don't have to worry about the sharks because God's got your back in the middle of the financial situation that you're in. And a lot of us feel financially like we're in the middle of an ocean and we're surrounded by, by debt and there's no way for us to get to shore, right? I mean, there just isn't. Some of us are paying thousands of dollars on credit cards every month. Some of us are paying outrageous car loans, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month. Some of us are paying student loans that are $150,000 to $200,000 in student loans. Some of us have house payments that are out of control, and we feel like we fell off the boat and we're swimming, but we're not sure if we're ever going to make it to shore, right? Now, some of you are thinking, that's, that's kind of me. That's kind of how I feel. That's, that's where I am financially. And then you come to church. And I start throwing God into the equation, right? I start going, I know you're upside down financially, but you know what? God expects you to give 10% a tithe of your income back to him. And, and you're going, I, I just can't do it. I mean, I, I just, I can't do it. I've got too much debt, too much credit card, too many payments. I'm so upside down and I'm supposed to give a tithe. It's just not going to happen. Maybe someday. Someday when I pay my credit cards off, then I'll start giving God a little bit of, a little bit of payback. Someday, you know, when, when, when I'm in a better job. Someday when I get a better raise. Someday, or maybe never, does God come into your plan for your financial future. One of my all-time favorite stories about our resources and our stuff is about a guy who took his five-year-old son to McDonald's. He bought a Coke and he bought a large fry. And they went and sat down at the table and, you know, he reached across the table to grab a couple of the French fries from his son. And his five-year-old son did, don't touch my fries. You know, that, that type of an attitude, these are my fries. Don't you touch my fries. And his dad said, I just kind of sat back and kind of smiled a little bit, thought, well, you know, that, that, that's okay. And, uh, and then he took a drink of his Coke and he said, thought to himself, he, he thought, you know what, doesn't my son realize that? I'm the one who gave him those fries to begin with. I mean, I'm the one that, that, that got them for him. Doesn't he realize that I can take those fries away any time that I choose to? Doesn't he realize that I can go and buy all the fries 
that I ever wanted to eat because I've got the money to do that. Doesn't he realize that I can go and tell the people at the counter to give me all the French fries you have in this store and I can bury him in French fries? You know, he starts to get a little, a little, little more angry. Doesn't he realize that I don't need his fries? Doesn't he realize that all I really wanted to do was share a few fries with him? He said, and then it hit me. His son was simply acting like I've been acting towards God. Think about that for just a minute. God blesses us, and then he wants to sit down with us and share some of those blessings. But what do we do? Mine. Don't you touch my stuff. Don't you ask me for my stuff. This is mine. I worked for this. This is mine. Yeah, yeah, maybe you gave it to me or whatever, but this is mine, and I'm not giving it back. That's our attitude when it comes to God and when it comes to our stuff. And God has to be thinking, really? I mean, I don't really need your stuff. I I can give you more blessings than you could ever dream of. You know, I could bury you in blessings. I just want you not to be selfish. I just want you to realize that your stuff isn't really your stuff. And it's not what's most important in your life. It just isn't. But yet we don't get that very easily, do we? We don't understand that everything is God's and he allows us us to manage a part of what he gives us. But it's not ours. It's not ours to keep. It's not ours to eat all of it. It's great to have and God blesses us with it, but it's not ours. Do you know what happens if you rack up $3,000 in credit card debt and you never make anything but the monthly payments on that $3,000, do you realize how long it will take you to pay that off? Are you ready? 37 years paying minimum payments on $3,000 in credit card debt. That's a a long time. I mean, it really is. Now, if you were to take that same $3,000 and you put it into an IRA, an investment account of some type that does fairly well, Do you know how much money you would have at the end of 37 years? About $125,000. Paul Hornsby's going, let me figure that out. Yeah, that's that's about right. $125,000. Which way do you want your interest to work for you, against you or for you? Because it's going to be one or the other. You get to choose which way you want it to go, but it's going to be one way or the other. Now, have you ever noticed that when you get a credit card offer in the mail, it makes you feel kind of warm and fuzzy? We want you. You are approved. Isn't that nice? You know, I I like to be approved. I like to be wanted. That's nice. This is for you. This special rate is just for you. And they might even give you the, it's interest-free for the next 12 months. Oh, that's, they want me. You know, they, 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 they like me, they approve of me, and they're giving me interest-free for a year. How can I pass that up? How can I possibly pass that up? And then in the very fine print, I mean so small that you need a magnifying glass to read. It says after 12 months, it goes up to 37% interest. You don't read that when you're feeling approved and wanted and cared for. Because they want you to give in to that credit card debt. They want you to rack up that card with spending. 
and then they want you just to pay the minimum on it every year. You know what people are called that, that do that, just pay the minimum? They're called revolving customers because you're just racking up money for them, right? Do you know what they call customers that pay off their credit card bill every month? Deadbeat customers. You know why? Because you're not making them any money. They don't care about you anymore, and they certainly don't want to give you the warm and fuzzy feeling. They want you to rack up credit card debt, and when you don't do that, you're a deadbeat. Or you're actually following God's plan for your life. Whichever one you want to call that, it's the same thing. J. Reuben Clark said this, Once you're in debt, interest becomes your companion every minute of the day and night, and it's working against you. It has no love, no sympathy. It's as hard and soulless as a granite cliff, and you cannot dismiss it. Whenever you get, get in its way or cross its course or fail to meet its demands, it crushes you. Here's what Mary Hunt says. Debt keeps you stuck in the trap of using your future to pay for your past. Ouch. Don't, don't forget that phrase. Debt keeps you stuck in the trap of using your future to pay for your past. That thing that you couldn't live without, that you had to have right now, that you paid way too much for and way too much interest on, in five years it's going to rust, fade away, be destroyed, whatever, and you're still paying for it. You're paying for your past with your future. Isn't that weird? Isn't that strange? But yet that's what we do every single day. And that's not what God wants for you. God wants to get you out of that bondage of being kind of consumed by your debt. Deuteronomy 28 says this, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. And if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them or finding yourself in debt. Did you catch the phrase, the Lord will make you the head, not the tail? That's an important phrase. What happens if you're the head? Number one, you direct where everything goes. You're looking to the future. You're looking to the path. You're the one that decides to turn left or right. If you're in the rear, you're just following along, right? And so if you make a bad decision as the head, the rest of the body suffers. But if you make the good decisions, then everything is good for you. Don't be the borrower. Don't be the tail. Don't be the back end. Now, we're hitting this debt thing pretty hard today. But I want to make sure that you understand that God doesn't say that debt is a sin, all right? He doesn't say that you can't go into debt. That's not what he says here at all. As a matter of fact, the scripture has a lot of things to do with how you handle debt, what do you do with debt, how do you pay debt. So it's part of their lives and it's part of our lives. All of us are in debt to some degree. Every single person in this room, you owe someone something, Right? Now, it just depends on how much the interest is as to what you're going to pay that back as. But he definitely discourages us from going into that. It's kind of a heart issue. It's a control type issue. It's a freedom issue. 
Because when you're in debt, you don't have freedom to do what you want to do. You just don't. Let's run through some of these biblical principles about debt from Barry Cameron's book, The ABCs of Financial Freedom. He says this, debt makes you a servant to someone besides God. Proverbs 22, 7, he says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the leader. I have a friend named Glenn, and Glenn is just a pretty annoying kind of person, to be honest with you. I love him. He's a great guy. But here's the first question Glenn always asks. How's your budget? Always. <laughs> Haven't seen him in a year. How's your budget? Not how's your family? How's life? How you doing? Are you staying? How's your budget? Where's your credit card debt at? Those are the first things that he says to you. Whenever Now, I'm not saying Glenn's wrong because Glenn is actually right. He's, he's on track with, with, with a lot of that, right? But he's going, do you want to be slave to the lender? That's his favorite phrase to use. You want to be the head or the tail? It's like, dude, just give me a, a minute to breathe, okay? Let me give you a hug and say, man, I miss you. It's good to see you. No, how's your debt? How's your budget? Now, when you borrow money, at least to some extent, the person or institution that you borrow from controls you. You understand that, right? And if you don't believe me, try not paying it back. They control you. My wife works first aid and safety for CentOS, and she can't, comes home. It's a tough job. I mean, she's in factories. She wears steel-toed boots. She walks five, six, seven miles a day in those, those things, stocking, selling first aid and safety equipment. And she comes home from work, and she's just worn down. So this last year, we said, well, let's, let's buy a hot tub. Maybe you can, you know, that will help you relieve some of the pain, whatever. So we go looking for a hot tub. And if you don't know me, I don't buy anything that's not the best deal in the planet. I just don't. I mean, I research, I look, I kick every tire. I look, we went hot tub shopping in Dayton in our bathing suits, and we tried out several hot tubs in the store. It's just what we did, you know? So we found the hot tub that we wanted, and uh, we, we put it in, and it's like, okay, what's, what's the best? Shop to all the stores, what's the best deal on this? I got the best deal, unbelievable deal, six months, same as cash. I'm going, yes, we scored on this, it's a great deal. And then about four months in, five months in, I was expecting some money uh, to come in to be able to pay this thing off, and it was going to be delayed by about six or eight months. And it's like, um, i got to pay this off so that I don't get hit with whatever fees. I'm going, well, I just don't have the money, so we'll just deal with the fees. So you know what happened, right? My incredibly fantastic swell bar, that's what they call them, swell bar deals, when they're so good you can't believe them. My swell bar deal turned into the worst possible deal I could have ever made because I ended up paying an extra $3,000 in late fees with not paying that off in six months. It's like, oh man, I am so depressed. I paid it off now, by the way, just so you know, it, it's paid off. But it, it was that I'm, I'm enslaved to the lender. I had to pay it in six months, which I'd never done anything like that before, and I'll never do anything like that again, by the way, but I had that six months to pay it, and I didn't pay it, and I got slammed with the reality that you are not in control of your own finances because somebody else set the terms. Somebody else decided what you were going to pay. Somebody else already knew that you weren't going to pay it in six months because how many people do? 
and they get all these exorbitant fees coming back. That, that's what it means when the borrower is slave to the lender. Because those are the terms and the way it works. Now, is it wrong to borrow and not pay stuff back? I was hoping I could file bankruptcy at that point. I'm just telling you. Something that, which you can't do anymore, by the way. And I wouldn't do, even if I could do it, I was just thinking. Random thoughts there, right? Is it wrong not to pay back? Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Going, yeah, it's wrong. Can't do it. Do you know why the righteous can give generously? Because they're not in debt over their heads. Because they're not swimming in credit card debts. Because they have freedom to do things and help people because they're not paying all that interest. What could I have done with that extra $3,000 that I ended up paying in fees? I could have bought somebody their meals, for their, their dinner for a month, their groceries for a month. I could have made somebody else's car payment for them. I could have paid somebody's utility bill. But instead, I paid the $3,000 because I was in debt, and I could not do that. The Bible warns us that it's better not to go into debt. Proverbs 17, 18, a man lacking in judgment strikes hands in a pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. In other words, he's making a credit card transaction for his neighbor, which will never turn out good. It will destroy the relationship. The longest term of debt God's people in the Bible took on was seven years. That's interesting. Seven years. Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel all the debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelites. So guess how long they would loan money for? Six years, 11 months. Why? Because if it's not paid back by that time, it has to be forgiven. So they're collecting at six years, 11 months because they don't want to have to forgive the debt. So that's how long the terms always were. Now, here's another thing that this book talks about, about the, the debt situation in our lives. Barry Cameron says, you're not in control of your own future. James 4 says this, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you do realize that, right? People are always shocked by what happens in their lives. Didn't see that coming. Never knew that was going to hit me. Never knew I'd find myself in this situation. I never knew these addictions or these issues or these challenges would come up. I just didn't see them. But guess what? They happen to you anyway. What happens if you take out a lot of debt and next week you lose your job? You're still responsible for the debt. So what are you going to do? What happens if you make a big purchase and you're going, well, I'm counting on my spouse for their income to cover this purchase and your spouse dies? Then what do you do? You didn't see it coming, but it still happened. What happened if addiction takes over after you've been clean for a long time and you put yourself in a great situation, you decided to splurge, and then all of a sudden you have no idea how to pay that back because it wasn't in your plan because you're not in control of your future. You're just not. 
Now, when you get into debt, you're asking someone besides God to meet all of those needs. And that's a dangerous place to be. I know it kind of feels like, okay, Dad, I get it. Quit, quit scolding us, right? That's kind of what I feel like right now. You're going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Thanks, Dad. That's yeah, not it at all. The, the thing is that, 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 that debt and, and our finances, they, they, just, they just affect all of us in all kinds of different ways. The real question is, do we trust God to provide for our needs or do we trust our banks and credit cards to provide for our needs. You do realize Matthew 10 says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. A little easier for God on some of us than others. I got that? So don't be afraid. You're worth more than any of the sparrows, than anything else in the world. God values you. So when you go into a debt, you're affecting everyone in your family and everyone around you. You know that. You know what the most fights are over in marriages? Finances. Yeah. Finances, sex, and family. That's the, the top three fights. So how many fights are you having a week in your marriage? Don't answer that question. I, don't, I really don't want to know. But how many fights a week? Finances is the number one thing that we fight over in our families. So here's what all these basic biblical principles tell me. Number one, debt is not a good thing for us, and it certainly is not God's will for us. Let me give you the best definition of debt that I've ever seen. It's in Barry Cameron's book. Debt is this, a dumb explanation for buying things. How many of you are dummies? Every hand in this place should go up. Because we've all bought stuff that we knew we shouldn't have bought, but we did it anyway because we want the instant gratification. We want what we want, and we want it now, so we go into debt to get it. It's not a good thing to do that. And when you do that, you're just kind of setting yourself up for failure. So how do you get out of the bondage of debt? Number one, you start by making a promise to God and an accountability partner. Do you have that in your life? You go, okay, God, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to be free from this bondage. I'm going to be able to do more for you. That's my goal. If you only say that to God and you don't have an accountability partner, guess what happens? You end up with 23 guitars in your basement. That's exactly what happens. You end up buying more stuff than you ever should buy stuff. I need somebody in my life that looks at me and slaps me across the face, not, you know what I'm saying, and says, don't buy that other guitar. You don't need another guitar. We've talked about this. I'm your accountability partner. Don't do it. And since I have nobody in that situation for me, guess what happens? I buy another guitar. That's how it works, right? You buy another gun. You buy another uh, car. You, you buy another piece of furniture. You buy whatever it is in your house that you're addicted to buying because you think, I can. I see it. I want it. I need it. I'm buying it now. Now, my wife and I see a lot of things we want and need. We just end up going to yard sales to buy them. That's what we do. So you spend $1,000 on something, we're getting it for 50 cents. I'm just telling you, that's the way that we work, right? Quit taking on more debt. Here, here's another great one. 
How about this? If you want to stop being in debt, quit buying more stuff. It's a great idea. How about this? Never forget to put God first in your giving. You're going, okay, Scott, you're throwing God back in this money thing. You know, listen, we talked last week. If you withhold from God, don't expect God to bless you because it doesn't work that way. God says, give me your first. Give me your first 10%. I'll bless you with more than you can ever handle. You might think, oh, okay, whatever. I can't afford to give anything to you. Not about what you can afford. It's about putting this together so that you invite God into your finances. And how about this? How about developing a written plan? I'm getting ready to use a word that's going to scare you a little bit. All right, are you ready? Here it is. Budget. Some of you just crawled under your chairs right there. Oh, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say budget. Budget! Budget, it's, it's, it's so much easier to go, this is how much money I'm taking in. This is how much money is going out. There's my answer. Some of you, I got that in my head. I've got my budget in my head. Well, guess what? When you get to my age, your head doesn't remember what you've got in it anymore. I can't even remember my password to get to my budget sometimes. And that's how it works. It doesn't need to be in your head. It needs to be written down. I know it's not easy. And let me say this. We have people in this church, if you're in the middle of a financial situation that you cannot get out of, we have people in this church that would love to walk through you on budgeting, putting something into place for your life so you can find which direction is the shoreline so I can swim to it, or at least find a boat to climb up on for a little while. I had lunch this week with one of my friends here at church. He said, I love helping people do budgets. It's like his thing. I'm going, you're really weird, but I'm glad it's your thing. You know, because a lot of people need help in that. I had two people from 9 o'clock service come up and say, I need help with that. And so we're going to connect them to somebody to do that here at church. If you need help, we want to help you. How about another way to get out of debt? How about get a new lifestyle? The reason you're in the debt you're in right now is because of the lifestyle that you've been currently living. And it's not working. Change the lifestyle. So what kinds of changes can you make in your lifestyle to get out of debt? I'm going to ask you, what things have you done in your life to get out of debt? What have you done? What have you done that's helped you? Somebody tell me. Downsized. Wait, 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 one at a time. Car, no car, pay your car off. Get rid of cable. Do we even have cable anymore? That's my, no, I'm just kidding. Get rid of, I've got, I've got two, I just found out I have two, two Hulu accounts. It's like, how did I get two Hulu accounts? I log on once and it's just my name. I log on again and it's the whole family's name. It's going, what happened? I don't know. I got to get rid of one of them. That would certainly help. You're somebody else. Don't eat out all the time. Leave my phone alone. It's my phone. <laughs> That's why I have some debt. You're right. <laughs> What's that? Buy groceries at Aldi. Have you been to Aldi, by the way? Yeah. I, I've only been once. And I was so shocked by the price, I don't know why I haven't gone back. But I was shocked at how much I saved by shopping at Aldi. 
This is not an Aldi commercial. We're not sponsored by Aldi, just so y'all know that. But it was a great deal, seriously. Use coupons when you go to Kroger or Walmart or wherever you shop for your groceries. You'll find ways to save. How about this? How about when you do go out to eat, get water instead of soda? You know how much money that will save you? An average soda is about three fifty or so right now. If you get water, if you have a table of family of five, six, seven, eight, however many of you there are in your family, get water. It'll save you a ton of money. One of my friends said this on, uh, on Facebook. He said, get rid of alcohol. Now, again, the Bible doesn't say alcohol is a sin. It says getting drunk is a sin. Alcohol is not that sin. But whenever you drink alcohol, think about all the money that you spend around that. He said this. He said, imagine, he said, it didn't seem like much to me to have three drinks at a bar or a restaurant every week. He said, but then you start adding that up. Three drinks is like 20 bucks with a tip. I don't go to a bar to drink, so I don't know. But that's what he said. He said, if you do that five times a month, that can pay your utility bill. It might be able to pay a car payment. It might be able to pay part of your grocery bill. And you think about that, you're going, oh, that's interesting. Little changes in our lives. Somebody said this, put your credit cards in a block of ice in the freezer. And then when you're tempted to pull them out to use them, you got to wait for that sucker to melt. And maybe in the time you're waiting for it to melt, you go, I don't really need this anyway. And you put it back in the freezer. Great idea. Find creative ways where you can save money and then use that money to pay off your debt. You need to do that. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to swim in this ocean with no hopes of ever finding the shore. And your life will never be everything that God wants it to be. How about this? How about together we look at ways of getting rid of our debt and then we come up with plans to use that money that we're saving to impact the people's lives around us. That's God's plan. Hey, listen, your neighbor has an, has an issue? Help them. You, you know what? The guy down the street lost his job? Buy his groceries for a month. Hey, hey, hey listen, the, the, this woman, she just lost her. Make her, par, her car payment for a month. When you're out of debt, you can do those kinds of things to impact the world in Jesus' name. And you'll do it in big time ways because I promise you, nobody else in our culture is doing that. But when you do it, you'll stand out. Let's be the best Christ followers we can be and make the biggest impact that we can possibly make. Will you pray with me? Father God, I know this is such a tough topic. God, thank you for the, allowing the people in here, the people online, just to listen for a few moments. But God, I'm praying right now that you allow us to, first of all, get our lives in order. Secondly, God, that you allow us to make an impact with our one and only lives. And if that means in financial ways, then God, let it be big time in financial ways. Let us put ourselves in a position to be the best Christ followers that we can be. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.